Mm-hmm. You are not that sin. You mm-hmm. are not that moment in front of the computer. You are not that moment in establishment that you wish you wouldn't have walked into. You are a new creation, and God sees you that way. So that's important to know. Mm-hmm. Amen. Welcome to The Green Room, a space where leaders from the Austin Stone invite college students to have vulnerable conversations about relevant topics. All right, welcome to The Green Room. My name is MJ, and as always, I'm with Tyler. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Excited to be here this conversation. We got Jamie back. I'm so Come pumped. on. Yep. This is the first time we've had a returning guest, Jamie Ivy. Welcome back to The Green Room. You guys, two times? Yeah. <laughs> I'm basically a co-host. <laughs> yeah, you're basically a co-host. I mean, I'm wondering when my name's going to get put on the thing. Just, Honestly, just by the end of this conversation, <laughs> you'll have my spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, Jamie, we're so thankful that you decided to come back and hang out with us and talk with us. We know that you're a busy woman. Just catch us up on all the things that have happened since the last time you were on The Green Room. Um, I still have four teenagers. I now have a 17-year-old. That's the wow. biggest thing that's oh. happened. Oh, my gosh. And my husband, Aaron, who's on staff here at the church, uh, we have a book coming out on Ooh. marriage. Oh, man. Because, uh, you know, we are, like, the best married people. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, just full of here's how I do it different, you know, this way. Mm. No, it's full of stories. And then I have a, a talk show coming on YouTube. It might already be out by the time this is out. I don't know. The Jamie Ivy Show. So that's yeah. what's new. Yeah. Aren't you— uh, Mitchell's on this Mitchell show. is on the Jamie Ivey show. I wish I knew what episode it was. We just laid them out. But Mitchell Damn. sat down with me, and it was such a fun conversation. Yeah, it was so, so good. Great. Yeah, y'all should definitely check out the Jamie Ivey show on YouTube. When I saw the trailer, oh I literally gosh. I took a screenshot of it, <laughs> and I sent it to him with just big eyes going, I see you, big dog. There you go. <laughs> oh yeah. I tried to I tried to be under the radar. Oh, and I got the picture of you getting makeup on. That that that, that <laughs> was know, the part where It I was, was more so... of the, what, what is it called? It's when, like a, just to keep the shine off. Yeah, it's keep the shine off yeah. because so my shine's always on. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got the shine of the Lord on <laughs> yeah, you too. Come on. So, yeah, so they, they were that. like, we got to tone it, it down amazing. a little bit That's here. right. Um, no, that was so much fun. I was able to talk a little bit about my story mm-hmm. and Hurricane Katrina. But if you're listening to this and you want to hear more about Hurricane Katrina and my experience <laughs> with it, definitely check out the Jamie Ivey show. Honestly, uh, I don't get to talk about that story too much. So that was just a privilege being on there with Thank you. Thank you. And your book, Compliment, mm-hmm. um, with Aaron, there's two different... Books. Yes. So it's two books, mm-hmm. one written by me, one written by Aaron. It has 10 chapters, each on the same subject. Mm. Okay. But you get both of them. Okay. So the idea is like read one, pass it on, mm-hmm. switch, that kind of thing. So yeah, we're excited That's awesome. about it. Dang. Well, I'm excited to read both of those and glean all the wisdom I can from you guys, especially as a single person trying to figure out, man, like what is marriage supposed to look like? Y'all's wisdom in uh, and Honestly, the dating episode that you were on, the relationships one that we talked about, if you haven't listened to that, go ahead and do that. But yeah, y'all's wisdom is just so awesome in that area and so welcome. So there's no easy way to transition into what we're going to talk about today. So I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid right off. Before we get into it, we believe, me, Tyler, and Jamie believe that this conversation can happen in co-ed spaces in healthy ways. So in spaces with guys and girls and small groups, obviously to a certain context, Our hope is to actually model that as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So when you think about the pandemic, it's affected almost all aspects of daily life, like travel. Travel is down. Unemployment is up. And small businesses are struggling. So Josh Grubbs, professor of psychology at Bowling Green, says that not all businesses are experiencing a downturn. 
Actually, the world's largest pornography websites have reported large increases in traffic. For instance, seeing an 18% jump over normal numbers after making its premium content free for 30 days for people who agree to stay home and wash their hands frequently. In many regions, these spikes in use have occurred immediately after social distancing measures have been implemented. So with all of the madness and sadness and craziness happening in the world, something that we've seen rise in our culture has been the use of porn. So a question that many people ask, you know, because we see so much evil in the news, in our media, in in the world, like racism, sexism, all of these different things. So in the midst of this pandemic, a lot of people are wondering, not maybe asking, but just wondering, is porn really that bad? Out of all the things that someone could struggle with during a pandemic, is porn usage being up really that bad? Jamie, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean— Yes. There's a lot Mm. that goes into that. But I think we're going to answer that today, that, yes, we see that porn actually is harmful for people Mm. to use. In fact, I don't know how many—I read a stat recently that I want to say, like, maybe 17 states have actually declared it, like, a part of, like, a health crisis. Mm. And so, like, that's not even churches. That's just, you know, government has actually declared in that state. So I think the answer is yes, and I think we're going to— dive into that and why we think that it is. Yeah. Well, and, and also, too, I think when it, Mitch, I love the way you phrased the question, because I do think what happens for us, even as Christians, is you begin to try to parse out what's really evil and what's really not. And one of the things that you always have to do as a person, as someone who's to follow Jesus, you have to constantly have him tell you what is good and what is bad, what, yeah. what is beautiful and what is ugly. Because I think if we try to say, well, in our day and age, we can have the right intuition as to which things are really bad and which things aren't, that goes against the very fundamental things that we believe about who God is. I mean, this goes back to Genesis, right? Mm. They see the fruit, and they saw it was desirable to make one wise. Their intuition said, this isn't as bad as God says. And the idea of the Scriptures is God has wisdom we don't, and He can tell us where paths end in ways we can't see. Mm. And So that that's what's important about this, is we don't go— what is the immediate impact as far as I can see it? And that's how I determine how evil or awful something is. Yeah. That's contrary to the gospel because because the gospel says that things that sometimes look like you're sacrificing, you're really gaining, right? That's Jesus all the time. You, you can lose for him and gain with him, and then you can gain here and lose. There's this weird sort of arithmetic to the kingdom of God. And so I think it's important for us as people who want to follow Jesus to say, I'm going to listen to him. And what he says is evil, and I'm going to trust him that even if I don't see it immediately, there are impacts, there are things I can't see that will affect me down the road. Because one of the things that time and age does do for you is you do have more time to see God's word play out as true. Mm. Like, it's something you don't have when you're—it's not that someone who's young doesn't have wisdom. It's that you get to live a little bit of life, and you get to see God is right every time. That's is what that's all time all time has taught me so far, and every older saint that I talk to, all they say is, "I'm less sure of my opinions, and I'm more sure of things God says are true." It's mm, good. Well, if you're here and you're listening to this, you're not a Christian. Yeah. Then what's a whole different conversation of how we have this, right? Like it'd be public health crisis. You'd use different criteria, but for me and for us, we want to say, well, "Let's remember, remember who defines things for yeah. us, and have Him define how we think about what's good and bad, and what's right and wrong." Yeah, Tyler, that's, that's so good. I, I think about the tension that we can experience as Christians to care about all the things that God cares about. Right. 
I, I think about this issue with pornography, and I think about all of these different things that God is calling us to care about. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's asking us to pick and choose. Mm-hmm. Also, even on a side, uh, like you were saying, Jamie, like on, on a non-believing person's side, there have been 16 states and counting that have declared porn a public health crisis. So, Jamie, I actually just looked this up. And on fightthenewdrug.org, which is an incredible website that we're probably going to reference a a couple times um, here. Uh, Fight the New Drug is a non-religious and non-legislative awareness and education organization that provides access to resources that are helpful to those who need support, including links and discussions about legislative matters. So I looked this up, and since 2016, 16 states and counting have declared porn a public health crisis. That's Alabama, Arkansas, Arizona, Florida, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, Oklahoma, Pennsylvania, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia. And bonus possible 17th state, it's Texas. So yeah, by this time, uh, Texas has declared porn a public health crisis. So some of y'all are listening to this is like, you know, why does that matter? What does that even mean? Like these resolutions that are happening in legislation put these states in better positions to promote the science and research that show porn's negative effects on individuals, relationships, and society. Mm -hmm. So coming back to just that first question, it's not only Christians who are saying this. It's like, by common grace, we have scientists and people in politics who are actually saying this is harmful for Mm -hmm. humanity. What are some reasons why you think that is? That the states are doing it or that it's harmful to humanity? Just harmful to humanity. I mean, a lot of things we'll talk about, I'm sure, about, you know, rewiring the brain and how your brain releases hormones when it is excited in the right way that it should and how those hormones can get stuck in your brain and then— you know, many studies show that, you know, porn users eventually will have a hard time even having a satisfying sexual relationship with their Mm -hmm. partner, Mm -hmm. with a real-life person, Mm -hmm. because they're so stimulated by what they've seen on a screen that it's hard to actually do that in person, which to to some people are like, they're like, that can't be true, but it actually is true. Like, your brain gets stuck in those ways. So it's harmful that way. I mean, it's— very harmful in marriages. I'm sure we'll talk about that as Mm. well. And, you know, those are just like scientific ways. And then just like from a biblical standpoint, Mm. it is putting something between you and God. It is sin, Mm -hmm. you know, and so sin separates us from God. Now, there is grace abounds, and this conversation is not going to shame anyone. There is so much grace. But the truth is grace is there because there's a sin. Mm -hmm. And so we can't step over the fact that it is actually something that God does not want for us. It is not for our best interest. You know, you're talking about Eve earlier, and I always think, like, of her thinking, God must be holding out on me. I think a lot of college kids and teenagers will think, why can't I look at porn? Yeah. If God just doesn't want me to have fun, yeah. God wants me to have or, or think about our friends who are, you know, 35 and choosing yeah. to wait till they're married and they're yeah. thinking, I could just easily look yeah. at porn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God must not want me to be sexually fulfilled. And we mm-hmm. God created us with sexual desires. And so there's that same yeah. idea of like, God doesn't know best. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm gonna go around that. And we see what happened, you know, yeah. in Genesis and how that worked out. Um, and so I think there's a lot of ways that it's harmful for for people. Well, and I think when you demean and dehumanize somebody and you watch it repeatedly, it does something to you. So I was thinking about as you asked the question, Mitchell, uh, James Baldwin was um uh, African-American novelist and writer and thinker in the 
mainly in the you know 40s, 50s, 60s. And he had this really great insight about, and I'll tie it back to pornography, but he was talking about how when white people would, you know, yell racist slurs at him, he had this great insight of saying, that says more about you than it does about me. Mm. And when you call me that, you're doing something to yourself as you do that. Mm. And that that's when you actually partake in sin, it doesn't just affect other people. Watching other people get demeaned and dehumanized does something to me. It numbs me in a way. And pornography is this is this visual expression and interaction with the dehumanization of somebody treated as they're only worth the amount of money you can pay them. They don't have inherent worth independent that would would warrant them being treated differently. And when you partake in that, you're teaching yourself they don't matter and I don't matter. We're just flesh and bone and that's all that we are. And when you teach yourself that, the reasons the public health crisis is it teaches a form of nihilism where nothing matters. That's good. Nothing matters. It's so long as it's publicly uh, affirmed and it's financially viable, why not? And what that does to all of us, it makes all of us. There's, I mean, we, we're going to get into our stories, but I know for me, when I was in college and pornography just ruled my life, it has this way of making everything seem meaningless. Mm. It has this way of numbing you to everything. And at the beginning of it, you don't see it. It doesn't work. Again, if people want to go and like, what's the immediate negative impact? Well, that that's a low view of how hurts work and how sin works, because all of us have things that happen to us when we're eight, and you're not till you're 40, do you realize how it affects you? Real deep wounds go so deep that it takes time for you to unpack and understand what they did. So I think pornography has this for all this, the biblical verses that we can get into, mm. there's something about watching other people treat each other in ways that they are deeming right, that are actually wrong. It messes with you as you partake in that. So you think, I'm an island, that doesn't affect anybody else. Mm. But that acts like you're not being affected yourself right. and that you're not a, a person who's integrated as a, as a being. What you do on midnight on a Friday will affect you Saturday mm. afternoon but it may not be in the ways that you think. Yeah. And so I, I think that that's why it's, it's a crisis because there's something about dehumanizing people that dehumanizes me. And, and, I, and that, that's part of the image of God on everybody. I'll start by sharing the first time I was actually introduced to pornography. Yeah. Um, and, and then I would love to hear like y'all stories too yeah. and just, you know, ways that you've seen God give a lot of victory over either personal struggles or relationship struggles. Both of you guys are married, so that's a perspective that I don't have and that many of our listeners do not have. So that's also going to be good for us because we talked about this last time you were on, Jamie, but sometimes we think that struggles tend to go away once we get married, right. when we get to whatever stage and you know, we find out that they don't. Read compliment. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but I remember the first time I was exposed to porn was actually when I was maybe like 10, 10 years old. Me and one of my cousins, uh, we were living in New Orleans at the time. And we were just like hanging out at our family's house. And we went into one of our family members' bedrooms. And we were just looking at like different VHSs to try to watch for movies and stuff like that. And I was going through dresser drawers and and I, I find uh, this VHS tape 
that has for those that y'all don't it. know, that's how we used to watch movies. <laughs> yeah, we had to stick this really like weird box into another box. <laughs> yeah, and you had to rewind it when you were done. Okay, sorry. Yeah, and there's rectangles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, storage was terrible. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, if you had a bunch of those. So yeah, I I remember finding these VHS tapes and not even like uh, us opening them to watch them, but just looking at the back of the VHS tape. I was just like. I know I'm not supposed to be looking at this or holding this. or So there was something deep in me that knew that this was wrong. But that was the first time I was exposed to it and the first time I actually took steps to seek out pornography uh, was after Hurricane Katrina when I was in junior high and playing football and, like, my friends were just into that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, have you checked this thing out? Yeah. And, like, would share their phone. Yeah. And just show these images. So that was the first time I was like, oh, I can actually go and get these things on my own. Mm -hmm. So so that was like the first time I actually sought those things out was around junior high. By the grace of God for me, pornography has not been a issue as far as like, you know, how sexual sin manifests itself Mm -hmm. in me Mm -hmm. because of things, the ways I felt sexually in my high school days, like I can remember those things like so visually. Mm. So usually it's not, and, and we're going to be honest here, usually it's not that pornography side that's tempting to me, but, and maybe there's listeners who can agree with this, but maybe it's the images that you already have in your mind mm-hmm. from either the first time you viewed those things or whatever sexual activities you partook in, partaken in. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how to say yeah. that word, but whatever things you did either before you were a Christian or things that you've done like while you've been a Christian. So those things have usually stayed with me and that's usually how like my sexual sin struggles like manifest. But I know that's not the same for everyone. So yeah, Jamie, I would love to hear just kind of like your story. Yeah, I have a similar story like that. I think a lot of people have this story as well as my family was at a friend's house, and I found a magazine in mm. the bathroom. Yep. That's the first time I remember seeing pornography. And, you know, the crazy thing when we were all growing up is you actually had to kind of seek it out. Mm-hmm. You had to go buy a magazine. Right. You had to rent a movie. Now, I mean, you can just push the wrong hashtag on Instagram, and you've got porn on your phone. Yeah. It's, you know, it's so sad. Yeah. So that was my first time. And then the first time I can remember, like, actively— seeking porn is in college. I used to watch it with a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a very common story too. And Mm -hmm. I hear that even in marriages, a feeling like that's okay and it's an enhancement to our sex life. And so watch porn with that boyfriend. And then I remember the first time he wasn't home and I watched it by myself. I remember Mm -hmm. feeling like, I don't know if this is okay. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, got married and thought I'll never struggle with this again because now I have a husband and I can just have sex whenever I want. And, you know, there was that Struggle and temptation, I think it looks different for women. And again, there's exceptions to everything we're going to say today. Just, you know, this is not a male problem by any means. And for me, I remember it was when we lived here. We've been here 13 years. I had a really big temptation. I was under a lot of stress. Aaron's out of town. I was teaching at a church the next day. And I just want everyone to know, like, I wasn't, like, not following Jesus. And I remember sitting in our bedroom. I don't know where this came from, but I was like, I just want to find something online. Just I'm, like, anxious and nervous. And thank God we have all these, like, things on our computer. Mm -hmm, It's like mm -hmm. Fort Knox. You can't even get in, you know? And so there I am trying to type in, like, words that might slip through the cracks. And by the grace of God, I didn't get anywhere. But I remember the next day just feeling Mm -hmm. like— what is wrong with me? Like, Mm. I am married. I have four children. I love Jesus. Why did I even want to do that? And so it's like 
not something I fight ever on a daily basis, but I always look back to, man, that wasn't that long ago that that temp- that old temptation yeah. that I thought I had would never come back up came back. And so that's kind of my story. Mm. I, did, I viewed it, watched it a lot pre-Jesus, followed Jesus, and then, wow, why did this temptation come back up? Yeah, you said something that's so nuanced but so powerful in even how we talk about, like, confessing these things, which— well, we'll definitely get into more later, but even how on social media, you can put in like a hashtag mm-hmm. and these things will pop up. Yeah. Yeah. It's more accessible than it has been in any other time in history yeah. because of social media. Which is why these conversations are so good. Yeah. Because I know we'll probably ask this, but I would guess that we grew up in a time where we did not talk about pornography. Mm. It was like yeah. that happens like in those back wood alleys that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now I think— we have to talk about it because it's not in the back of an alley. It's yeah. on our phone yeah. and it's 24-7. Mm. And then people don't know what to do with it. So, Yeah, yeah I mean, my story is not dissimilar. Well, it is dissimilar in some ways because I think my struggle with pornography has been much more pronounced than the two of you. Same thing, eight years old, nine years old, someone had a magazine kind of thing. But for me, it started in middle school where, I mean, it was like a habit. And throughout high school, it was a habit. And then I became a Christian when I was 18 I can still remember the first time, because I mean, you grew up in and you, if you grew up in Dallas, Texas, you're in and around real, like churches. You just like Dallas is Christian, yeah, right? You, the you, whole place. You, yeah. yeah, you just walk ten <laughs> steps and fall into a church. And so, like, I I heard the sexual ethic a lot, but it never, yeah. it was always external. I never felt an internal desire not to look at pornography. Mm. I remember I became a Christian. I can still like I can right now remember the very first time I ever was upstairs in my house. I've been a believer for like two weeks. I remember the first time walking downstairs because I didn't want to, for the first time, not look at pornography. Mm. And I remember remember walking downstairs being like, this is the strangest experience I've ever had, where I don't want to. I'm tempted, but I don't want. It was was like the new birth, right? I'm this new person. But honestly, even after I became a Christian, it was a constant, constant struggle. It was something that I was always open and honest about with people around me. But at my sophomore year, it got to the place where by the end of my— fall semester of my sophomore year of college, I was suicidal because mm-hmm. I could not, I could not overcome it. I just was, I, I mean, every day failing, every day mm-hmm. failing, every day failing. And so it was just one of those things where it was, it was so all consuming in my mind, you know, and I would try every tactic. I had every accountability thing. I had every, we would fast every time that I fall and then we, and I'd fall like, and, it, and, it, and then it, it builds this shame complex where I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm confessing. I'm repenting. I thought that I did, and then I fell again. Maybe I'm not a believer. It's all those things. And actually, one of the things that got me out of that depression, out of that funk, and we'll talk about how grace has this strange effect of you think you need more law and shame, but really you need more grace and love to get out of it. But it's Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning, and just just that that total acceptance of God it helped free me from the depression, but it didn't free me from mm-hmm. that sin. And so it was a constant struggle. And so I'll say to this point, what I was literally this morning as we're preparing for this, I was thanking God because I'm sitting here as a, I've been married 12 years, marriage didn't fix, by the way, didn't fix any of those problems that I had, actually made them worse because now when you are in a marriage and now you're able to have sex with your spouse and you struggle with pornography, the amount of wounds that that causes to both you and your it's Man or woman, doesn't matter. Like, it, it causes wounds like you wouldn't believe. And again, they're not always immediate. So the youth pastory sort of like, look at porn, your sex life's going to be terrible when you're married. Like, that's sort of like shame kind of guilt motivation. 
That's not what happened, but it, it made Lauren not trust me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it made her go, I can't trust your word because you're not a man of integrity. You say you'll stop and you won't. Yeah. And so it affects so many relationships. But I was this morning literally thinking about, I was praying and I thought, God, I would never have thought I could be as free as I am now of that sin. If you'd have told me when I was 20 that I would be where I'm at now, I would never have believed you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it speaks to, there actually is hope and change in this. Yeah. If someone's listening and you are, I mean, addicted and you are, you can't imagine getting out of it. You, God can change you. I'm just telling you, it'll be a lot slower, but it'll be a lot deeper too. Mm-hmm. It, it will, it, it can happen. And I'm, I mean, I'm, literally my life is a living testimony to yeah. that. So I yeah. think this subject is, is personal for me in that way, because it's not something that it was a, I came to Jesus and everything right. vanished, yeah. or mm-hmm. it's just old sexual experiences that I'm thinking about. Like, mm-hmm. no, this is something that I'm, I was feeding, yeah. and God, by all sorts of means and measures, yeah. has has redeemed me in that way. And I'm very, gosh, I, the the level of freedom you can have from it, it's it's like the freedom is intoxicating. Yeah. It's so sweet to have a to have a clean conscience. I don't think there's a price tag you can put on yeah. it. There's not a price tag you can put on having a clean conscience where I can hand my phone to my wife mm-hmm. and not be terrified of what she's going to see. Yeah. That, that even, I, I've done that multiple times in the past like year and I hand it to Lauren and I, I've literally think I'm like, it is so sweet to hand it to her and I'm not scared. Yeah. It's hard to understand how valuable that is till you have it. You know, I was listening to a, um, Professor at um, OU. I guess they have good professors. Oh, sorry. Aren't you an OU guy? Oh, no, oh, you're a Texas oh, Tech. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. sorry. Sorry. Gabby's uh, an OU Gabby's an OU. Okay. Gabby, our editor. Well, here, this is, is here a, prof- a doctor at OU, and he's a sociologist, <laughs> and he's evangelical Christian. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that he has seen that more people, if they're choosing to leave the faith because of pornography, they're not leaving because of their porn addiction. They're leaving because of their shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they leave the faith because of their shame. And so I think it's so important to have those conversations. That's why this is so important for all three of us to go, hey, this is this is a sin. This is a problem. But listen, the gospel, Jesus died for this. Yeah. Like he doesn't come to bring us shame. He comes to bring us freedom. Yeah. Like you, all of us are experiencing. And it just makes me think like when I told you that I, I had that experience of not mm. even seeing it. Yeah. I felt so dirty and I didn't even see anything, yeah. but I felt dirty because I had tried and my husband's a pastor and for the love, I'm teaching our church the next morning. And I remember, like, the next morning, I, like, beelined it to a friend of mine, and I was like, I got to tell you what happened. Yeah. I mean, it was like immediate because I knew, here's the deal. If I didn't tell her, the next time I was yep. in that situation, I would have had no reason to not yep. try again. Yep. And so she was so beautiful because she was like, you're not that person. Mm. Yeah. Like, okay, you made a mistake. Let's confess. Yeah. Let's bring that to the Lord. And then he says, hey, you're a new creation. And so then I, here I go. I'm going to start over again. And so I think it's in— and important for all of us, like all of us here love Jesus so much and have experienced that grace, that he doesn't want us to walk around in that shame, mm-hmm. if that's where you are today. Mm-hmm. There's primary motivations and there's secondary motivations. So our secondary motivations, like sometimes, like I guess for for me, it's a new year. Uh, so every year, you know, I don't say it out loud because I don't want to be like everyone else, but Deep down, I'm like everyone else where, like, I set resolutions. I thought you were going to give us a word for the year. Oh, a word for the year. No, <laughs> I don't. I actually I don't, don't do have either. words for a year. I, um, people don't understand how powerful that moment is that you just submitted. You're like, you know what? I want to be different, but I'm like everybody. <laughs> yes, that is so great. That's like yeah. everybody. That's everybody. Yeah. But, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, we're there. Um, so, so, like, I'm making resolutions. Everyone else, you know, trying to eat healthier, 
trying to work out more. And I have some good secondary motivations for it. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I want to look this good. And, you know, I want to be this slim or I want to be healthy for a lifetime or something like that. But ultimately, like, I need to do it because of the primary motivation. Like, I want to love God for as long as I can. And I want to love my neighbor for as long as I can. And so my secondary motivations usually run out really quick. Yeah. Because my resolutions, like, usually end around, like, mid-March, like, yeah. around spring break. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. you know what? Screw it. Like, rip, I'm, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I'm just going to go eat food wherever we're going for a spring <laughs> break trip, which we're not doing this year or we didn't do last year. But I think about that with things like pornography addiction. I mean, being a college director for, like, five years now, the guys that I disciple, like, struggle with this so much. Yeah. And what I see time and time and time and time again is that their primary motivation is usually not like Jesus and the kindness and the mercy that he brings, not just every morning, but every moment. But their primary motivation is the shame. I was told this a long time ago, and I don't know if it was from a book or it's just something that's still with me since college. But the difference between guilt and shame, guilt is feeling bad about what you've done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. That's tied to that identity is just so it, it, it can keep us in a cycle of sin um, and a cycle of not sharing about it. So, yeah, I just want to talk about that for a little bit because I know even conversations like this can lead to even more shame where people are feeling bad for that cycle that they're in. And we're saying, yeah, like, yes, it's sin, but also like there's hope where, where your sin runs deep, like the grace of God for sure runs deeper. So, and like, just to be real, I'm sure many people have church experiences in the past where they've either, you know, talked to youth pastors or lead pastors or accountability partners sure. about this and have been shamed for it. So, yeah, I, I, w- I want to talk about that for a little bit with us, um, but between us, like shame as a motivator. How have you seen that, like, just go bad? I mean, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there, there's this there's this tendency in all of us where the reason we go to because shame has this corrosive nature to it. But the reason we go to it, because I'm instinctively, all of us are instinctively drawn to a works-based sort of change. Our flesh, our sinfulness in us, deep, deep down, hates grace. It doesn't want to need grace. It wants to pull itself up by its own bootstraps. So I can say, I changed me, right? And there is, and this is, I mean, you see in in Colossians 2, uh, Paul talks about how there's always going to be this sort of asceticism in people to try to deal with their failures. So he says, you're going to hear things like, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These sort of, and he has this line, the way he ends the chapter, which I've meditated on this so many times. He says, these sort of don't do this, don't do that, restriction, restriction, restriction. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. These sort of shame tactics that we use, these secondary motivations, I really like that, they don't work because it's acting like the problem is just behavioral. Mm-hmm. It's acting like the problem, and, and even when we're talking about porn, there's no verse in the Bible that says you should look at porn. It's a heart lust issue. And because I'll say right now, God has freed me from porn in so many ways. Lust is, is deeper into my heart that I have to deal with. It doesn't deal with all of my lust problems. That's part of it. And in some ways, porn is this sort of very overt manifestation of a lust problem in my heart. And the way to deal with the root of it, I love the way Paul transitions it. Because you would think, everyone thinks of the Bible as this 
do this, don't do this sort of thing. And Paul just said, no, we're not those kind of people who promote this sort of religion that just is about beating yourself up. The very next verse, which has changed my life, he says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And look at this, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, look what he promises, you will also appear with him in glory. Mm. So the way he deals with our deep down desires, motivations that are are corrupt, he says you don't just need to be told how bad they are and focus on how good Jesus is. I think people give up on this fight because deep down they think I'll never change, yep. right? They, I know I give up all the time mm-hmm. of thinking I'm it's never going to be I any am. different. It's just who I am. And what Paul is reminding there that I think even just now I'm putting pieces together he reminds them of, no, no, this is not how it ends for you. Yeah. You actually will. You're getting glory one day. Like one day glory, you're going to be glorious and this will be gone from you. Mm-hmm. So to say I'll never be different is to say the resurrection isn't coming. Mm-hmm. And so you have to fill up. There, there's this powerful sermon from like 1600s by Thomas Chalmers. It's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And his whole point is that your heart cannot change by being neutral. It has to have a, a powerful, a, a greater affection to overcome other affections. So you, you don't kill desires by saying no to desires. You do that. You, you start, we'll talk about the, the practicals. You do say no, but you need a greater love to, in some ways, force it out. So your heart can't overcome shame with this neutral, I should be better, and self-talk, which all of us do, that sort of self-talk yeah. of, yeah. I should be better, I should do better. You need to go, what does Jesus say about me? It really is, a, I think it's a uniquely Christian experience to say, but when you go through it and you get around Jesus, you're like, I can't explain it, but knowing that he loves me no matter what I did makes me want to do it less. Yeah. But I think people think, well, I want to have that experience once and be done. Mm-hmm. But God wants us to learn how to lean on grace all the time, not just one time. Yeah. So I think the, the shame piece is undone not by simply telling yourself it's undone, but by focusing who you are in Jesus and the glory coming for you because that'll keep you going even when you keep failing. And like Jamie said, I don't want to brush past it. That's where confession and repentance is a, needs to be the habit and rhythm of all of our lives, but especially on this point. Yeah. Because if you hide and if you're hiding, can we just implore you to talk to somebody like today? Mm-hmm. Like, don't wait till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, don't hear this and be like, I'll tell somebody. And honestly, tell the person you least want to tell who mm-hmm. you trust. Like someone you trust, but the person that right now as we're talking, you're like, I want anyone but them to know. Yeah. Maybe you should go talk to that person. And if, again, I don't know how they'll respond, but there's something about bringing it to light yep. where people find you out. Mm-hmm. It's good for you because God already found you yeah. out and he, Jesus died for you in that worst yeah. moment. So I, I, I know that they may feel like it lacks practicals when people are in these. I feel like when people are important, they want very practical mm-hmm. steps because they think it's behavioral. And I can just tell you from my life and from watching the lives of many people close to me, the behavioral stuff won't fix the heart problem. Yeah. It can't go that deep. Yeah. There's something about meditating on who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and the glory coming for you that actually it unlocks power that you d- you couldn't see otherwise. Yeah. And it's like that saying, like, I want to do good so that God will love me, or do I want to do good because God yeah. loves me? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you're saying, it's that love that, that we go, okay, like— God knows all. He knew I was going to do that on that Tuesday afternoon at noon because yep. I was tired and lonely. And he still loves me. He still chose me. He still t- sent Jesus. Um, I love that Colossians stuff. And Paul is just my favorite. And Romans, the end of Romans 7, is always what I come to when I think about this. And I think, man, for me, it might not be porn now, but fill in the blank of whatever yeah. my sin struggle might be. And Paul's like, man, I want to do good, my, but my flesh does this. I want this, but I do that. And then he goes straight into Romans 8, and he says, but there's no condemnation Amen. for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yep. 
And that brings so much hope because Paul's being a realist with us. Mm -hmm. And he's going, hey, I know I'm like writing the whole New Testament here. (laughs) Uh, I know I'm Paul. But let me tell you, I still struggle with wanting to do what my flesh wants to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, that makes me go, okay, like this is a fight that we're going to be in until we wake up our eyes and see Jesus after we've gone home. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I, I, and again, we're practicals and stuff, I think this is another area of our life. Like the whole Christian life is dying to self. The yeah. whole thing is dying to self. And that sounds so awful and morbid. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, oh, I'm out. That right. sounds miserable. Mm-hmm. But there's so much freedom on the other side yeah. of that, what we don't see. And keep going back to Eve of like believing if you think about porn and you're like stuck in it, it's believing the lie that there's nothing better, mm-hmm. that this is the best I can have right now mm-hmm. with my sexual desires, my sexuality, my whatever, and not believing that God has a better plan for you, mm-hmm. which is where we can get caught up in not trusting God's goodness and That's not good. trusting God's plan and thinking, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And sometimes I think for women, because this is I'm so thankful you guys invited me in on this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's not a three-dude conversation because yeah. there's the, a misconception that women and girls don't mm-hmm. struggle with pornography, mm-hmm. and it's a lie. And I think a lot of women will think it's just a season or it's just a small thing. It's just a novel. It's mm-hmm. just a TV show or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to fight all of these things as if they're about to suffocate us. Yeah. And we have to fight them hard. And listen, fighting stuff is good. Yeah. When you stop fighting is when you fall out of the race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all, that's so good. For you guys listening that are like, all right, what does repentance practically look like? What does confession look like? In the show notes, wherever you're listening to the podcast, we're just going to have like a couple resources linked to help you with that. Also, with some links to some of the websites that we're talking about today that are super helpful in the fight against pornography. I, I think it's something else that adds to that fire of shame can be thinking about like this you know, quote unquote, hierarchy of sins. So so you have some people on one hand that are like, you know, I'm not really going to confess pornography because I'm not like cheating on my girlfriend or my wife. Right. Like I'm not as bad as these other people. So they don't confess it. And then you have uh, people who are like, well, this is the, um, this is my unforgivable yeah. sin. Oh yeah. I mean, we talk about this a lot when we talk about things like racism. There's some people who are like, well, I don't want to take that step forward. And confessing and that turn of repentance because, like, in our culture, that's an unforgivable sin. Like, right. I, I will not be forgiven for that. But, like, Jesus does not say that. Yeah. So so I think there's so much shame that can come with this struggle with pornography because I don't know anyone else who either talks about their struggle with this. I don't know what it looks like to actually talk about this with people. And it could just feel like, you know, there's, there's no turning back for me. Like, I've been struggling with this for months. Yeah. And nobody knows. Yeah. So something I would just, man, recommend if, if you're listening to this, like that repentance, just like Tyler and Jamie were talking about. James 5.16 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And so even if that confession is like, I've been hiding this thing for months, it does not change your positioning with Jesus. Yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. That's that motivator. Like, like we don't work to be loved by God. We work yeah. out of that yeah. love for God. So, and, Mitchell, and to that point, can I just say for people who, when someone confesses this sin to you, can I just give you some coaching on what to say? Um, I think Christians can sometimes, and any confession of any sin, you can go the shame route where you go, really? Mm. You do I what? Never I never that expected that from you. Or you mm. go the practical route where all you say is, okay, well, what's our plan? What are we going to do? One thing that I've 
tried to grow in myself and help people around me grow in is when someone confesses sin to you, you need to look them in the eyes and tell them the gospel. Mm-hmm. Tell them like, isn't it amazing that Jesus never failed in that way? And that he gave himself for you and that you don't have to be defined by the. We want to move past the gospel. I'm like, it's the good news. There's no better news than that. And so when someone confessed a sin to you, in that moment, look at them and tell them what's true about them. Yep. Tell them what's true about them in Jesus. Tell them their sin is as awful as they feel, but it doesn't go to them. It went to Jesus. Yeah. And I know for me, when I would struggle with grace, I would always think that feels too easy. It feels like. I, I feel too much shame for for that to make sense to me. Like, I should have to do some push-ups or, like— Or re- cry for a or couple cry or, days or, or read my Bible, yeah. like, two more times yeah. or, or, or make a lot of promises to God, <laughs> yeah. make a whole lot of, like, I'll nevers, whatever. And it only feels easy because I have a substitute. Mm-hmm. And so it's good for those moments to say, if it feels easy, that means you're starting to get to grace. But it's not because it was easy, because Jesus did all the work for us. Mm-hmm. And so I, if someone confessed a sin to you, you, you do need to get to practicals and help them grow. Yeah. But let's be a people who constantly remind each other of the good news of what's true about us and who we are in Christ. Because I, I think we move past it too quick. And to be honest, what your heart needs more than anything is to rest in who God has said you are. And then the behaviors will come out of that. But we want to move past it because we don't like intimacy. It requires intimacy to look at someone in the eye and say, this is who you are in Jesus. I don't care what you say about you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's harder than just going, let's practically solve this mm-hmm. problem. So I hope as I even, I mean, this is just our church. Mm-hmm. Other churches, they can do, it's enough stuff. Ours yeah. is enough. I wish our church was a place where Christians hear the gospel as often as non-believers do, mm-hmm. that we wouldn't move past it, but that we'd be in awe of it. Because there's something about when you hear the gospel, when it's theoretical, it's one thing. It's like just, it's, it's a concept you know about Jesus. When you feel immense amount of shame and then you receive it, that's you reminded how good it is. Yeah. So if we want to be a vibrant church, that's how it starts. It always starts with those times of repentance, receiving grace. And that's where, I mean, Acts 3.19 says the Holy Spirit will come and he'll give you times of refreshment. Mm-hmm. On the back end of repentance with the Spirit is always refreshment. So I just want us to be a people who, when you hear that confession, preach the gospel before you do anything else. Love it. So good. It's important to talk about and it's important to talk to your roommate about mm-hmm. and your your friends and even your parents if that's possible. Because if, you know, we're going to talk about what this looks like in marriage, it's still important to have these conversations in your marriage with your spouse and talk about uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. Yep. Yep. You think it felt good for me to have Aaron come home from out of town and tell yep. him, hey, by the way, when you were gone, right. I was getting on the computer trying to find some oh, porn. Yeah. No, that didn't feel good. Yeah. That was embarrassing. But having the conversation so that it's not this like secret thing that nobody talks about, because then I think that's when Satan comes in mm-hmm. and says, it's a secret. You don't need mm-hmm. to talk about it. This is really bad. I know you actually stumbled upon it. Well, now it's just between me and you. Yeah. You know, we get to do this. Yeah. You had that quote yesterday in your sermon from Dr. Moore. Yeah. And it was about pro-life. And you yeah. said Satan is pro-choice on the way into the yeah. clinic and pro-life on the way out yeah. with that shame. And I was like, thinking about that this morning. We were preparing for this. And I was like, I think it's the same with porn. Everything, right. Mm. Satan's like, it's okay. You can do it. And then as soon as you do it, he's like, wow, you really screwed up. You did I can't believe you did it. And so when, you t- when I'm talking with my kids about it, with every kind of like sin temptation that they might have, I want to come at it as in, this is a potential that this could happen. You know, and I tell parents all the time, it's not if your kid sees porn, it's when they see porn. Yeah. And this is not for parents, it's for college kids, but right. it's important to have a yeah. conversation. Well, and I think to that end, I would be willing to bet we've so normalized it to the extent of there's no way out of it. And no one's talking to us with any sort of nuance of how is sexuality good and how is this a, a corruption of that and what does that do to me? So that, again, the conversation piece of being able to bring it to light because the pervasive nature in all of their lives 
because again, the phone piece, I, I, I cannot imagine. I had the internet, and that was hard, and I, that was at a, like a at your at, house at my house at a computer, uh-huh. and that, and I couldn't control myself with that, much less having a device. And I, and I do want to get into like the practical piece because I do think you have to view your life as an ecosystem to to truly fight this in. You cannot view your life as you are a compartmentalized person and you're this thing here and you're that thing there. You have to have a, a we can, I want to get into this, a, an integrated view of your life to truly fight this sin. Mm. Man, I think that helps us going into this practical side. How do we actually fight this? As single people, for sure, as most of our listeners are, but also in marriage so that people would have that foundation. Even as you guys like have different stories and stuff, I would love for y'all to continue to share those things. But as far as like moving into the how, mm-hmm. as we get into that, man, what have been some like passages in the Bible that have helped you? Then also just, man, what are some practical things that have helped you guys specifically or helped you in your friendships and accountability groups and all those different things in fighting sexual sin, but specifically pornography? I was on a safari a couple of years ago, and I can't remember the animals. What is the Pumbaa in Lion King? What is warthog. he? A warthog. warthog. Okay. So I'm on a safari, and we're going, and we're seeing all these animals. And it's, if you ever get a chance to go on a safari, it's amazing. Okay. And we're going, and the guide is talking to us about a warthog. And he said, one of the things that's so difficult for them is they'll just be running, 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 and then they forget what they're doing, and that's when they get devoured. And I remember thinking, that is about fighting sin. Mm-hmm. is Shoot. we'll just kind of get complacent or com- mm-hmm. compartmentalize what yep. is things in our life. And that's when Satan, the lion and the mm-hmm. safari, yep. will devour us. And so when I think about, you know, sexual temptation, sexual sin, pornography, whatever that might be, for me as a married woman, it can't be where I'm just like, oh, that used to be something for me in the past. But it has to be something that I'm still actively fighting. And so for me, what that looks like is, A, acknowledging that, I'm not too far gone from anything. Mm. Also, like, Aaron, my husband, is not too far gone Mm. from anything. Like, Satan is out to get us. He's out to devour us. He's out Mm. to bring us down. So just thinking, like, oh, my gosh, this is something that we have to be aware of. And then second, accountability. Like, the fact that I had a friend that I could go to who I knew would tell me the gospel. And I could still go to her today and tell her Mm. that if I needed Mm -hmm. to. Accountability. I mean, and then the practicals of, like, we have all the things on our computers, on our phones, all those things like that. But I think for me, mostly, it's just— knowing and actively fighting. And so there's some things I just can't watch yep. mm-hmm. or read yep. that everyone else is. And I'm okay with that because mm-hmm. I've started to watch them. And it makes me feel something that I know is not appropriate to be feeling mm-hmm. when I'm watching a TV screen. Yep. And so I think that comes with maturity as yep. well as going, okay, I could push through this and maybe I'll get on the other side and it won't be as bad. But just the maturity of me as a follower of Jesus now for 20-something years going, it's just not worth what that potentially could do for me to fight it. And then another thing for me that I have to fight personally is, I mean, something I think that is also not talked about very much is how that— what you've seen on pornography, how that can come in and affect your marriage. Mm -hmm. So let's say the last time I saw pornography was 22 years ago. It still has distorted some areas of what I think our sex life should look like. And so I have to, not consistently, but I have to like fight that of thinking, if we're not having sex like this, Mm -hmm. is anyone even having fun? Because of this distortion that I was exposed to in my 20s. So those are some practical. I didn't give any Bible verses, but Pastor Tyler, you can. (laughs) 
<laughs> I just talked about no. the, a warthog <laughs> running in the running in the safari. Oh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's tons of warthog verses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, man, I honestly I, I don't want to talk forever because I probably could. There's a, several verses. I, so I'll start with maybe theological framework and move to practical. I think one thing that's interesting to talk about is. When I was reading about same-sex attraction and, and how the New Testament talks about homosexual practice, a scholar named Robert Gagnon who talks about how Jesus and Paul deal with, with sexuality. And he talks about how the reason Jesus doesn't talk about sexuality as much as Paul does is because Jesus is in a different culture than Paul's in. Mm-hmm. And so Paul's in all these pagan cultures whose sexual ethic is all over the place, whereas Jesus is in a culture where they may have the right sexual ethic, but their power dynamics and money and all these things are. are. And so if, if you're here, and again, from, from, from theological standpoint, it's there's a reason. It's not because Jesus cares about it any less. He's in a different context where they share the same sexual ethic. They, they have a lot of different other things that they need to address, where Paul talks about it all the time. So when Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he's talking about Corinth, it all the time because they they're, they're losing their minds because they have no ethic to go, well, what's right and wrong? That's all right. I've been taught are these things. So as you're reading the Bible, I always want to, because I've been a college student before, and I always want to help people not pit the Bible against itself. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, Jesus never talks about this. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's understand the scriptures and what they mean. That's so that's one thing. This, the second thing is, like I said earlier, your life is a connected ecosystem of behaviors, attitudes, thoughts, relationships. You don't have compartments of your life that don't affect the others. So for instance, what I mean by that is your lack of self-control on your sleep will affect your irritability will affect your relationships, will then affect your view of self, will then get you to a place where now you're tempted and it's you're more apt to give in to that sin. Because when God talks about offering ourselves, we'll go to Romans 12, he never talks about offering part of yourself to him. He always says, offer up your entire life as a spiritual act of worship. Mm-hmm. So my entire life is worship. And if I say, for instance, I really want to, and this is where the pornography piece, I really want to fight pornography, but I don't care about fighting greed, mm. then you won't be able to fight pornography. Yep. And if you do win, you'll become religious, not spirit-filled, because you'll now go, great, my bad sin's taken care of, greed, not pride, who cares? That's good. And so that's what you have to, you have to fight against this temptation to think that I can have the spirit here and not over there. He, he consumes all of your life. View your life that way. So for me, the way I've gotten out of it is I know like going to bed early helps me. I just know that about myself. I'm more tempted, more tired I am. I know, like Jamie said, there's there's a great the verse I memorized over and over again to fight this is Romans 13, 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and to gratify it. Mm. For me, that's, so it's twofold. I got to put on the Lord Jesus. I, I, I got to think about who Jesus is. I, I got to think about who I am in him. And then secondarily, I have to make no no provision for the flesh. So things that I know, like so Jamie said this, I don't watch certain things. I'm going to to parents IMBD every time and going, is there what what's what, what's going on in this movie? Because I remember one time, I love I love John Piper. He had this great line. He's talking about why it's it's different watching violence in movies versus watching pornography in movies. He goes, because those people aren't really dying. Hmm. They're not the, there's no, we don't think they're actually dead, right? He said, these people are really naked. That's not fake. And it doesn't justify violence, but what he, his point is saying, being able to understand, it's not a matter of, am I free to do it or am I not? The Corinthians had this thing of going, if it's permissible, I should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And Paul's whole argument to them is, 
permissibility is not how you judge how, if it's beneficial or not. Mm-hmm. Things can be permissible that aren't beneficial for you. And that's another verse in 1 Corinthians 6 that I've mm-hmm. memorized over and over again is the body's not meant for sexual immorality. It's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Mm-hmm. My body's made for God. It's not made for sexual immorality. So those have been verses that have helped me. But again, I, I want people to go, well, get in the scriptures, pray. Like don't, don't underestimate time in the word and just prayer yeah. as, as a consistent routine and pattern. But also don't think 10 minutes in the morning, it solves your whole day. Like you, you have to do because most time for me, if we're gonna be brutally honest, pornography as as I had more victory over it, it became less of I'm lusting to look at pornography. It became more of I'm stressed and I want to cope with things. Yep. Mm. It, it became good. more of I'm stressed or I feel small in the world or I feel like no one listens to my voice or I feel unimportant, and that became a coping mechanism. So it's it's not as simple as you lust and you you struggle with this. Sometimes it's, I want to feel approved of. Mm-hmm. I, I want to feel all sorts of idolatry, and I want to express it. And that's where things like Covenant Eyes, and I've never heard of the Fight the— Fight the New Drug. That's the, a web page. I've never heard of it, so that's yeah. great. Um, so that's what I—those are a couple different ways. But that's what's helped me over the years. And then to have close, accountable relationships who know me, everyone, there's a, there should be at least a couple people in your life who have all of your cards. That's good. That's what I would say. A couple trusted people who love Jesus with you, and they need to have all of your cards. Not part of them, not some of them, all of them. Because someone needs to see all of you and be able to say, hey, I feel like you—we talked about this the dating one. You consistently fall into pornography when you've had alcohol. You consistently fall into pornography when it's exam week. And be able to go—so what the whole point of that is to say, not to shame you, but to Mm -hmm. go, hey, for the next time— Let's all say, I'm going to be with you as a friend, and we're not going to drink mm-hmm. because I we see what this does. Yeah. And again, and then you have to go back to the ethic we talked about the last time on dating. Does it give me more of Jesus or does it not? Mm-hmm. Not, will I get in trouble? Not, could you show me every single verse for every single action that tells me what to do? There's got to be a question of, do I find myself loving Jesus more when I do these behaviors? Because typically— Pornography is on the back end of choosing a lot of behaviors that are neutral at best and detrimental at worst. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important we see ourselves as I am an interconnected person. I'm meant to have my life affect other parts of my life. I'm not meant to be compartmentalized, and actually you can't. And I have story after story of people in my life who try to compartmentalize, and eventually they affect the others in ways that are completely destructive. And the Proverbs, the Proverbs, so many of the Proverbs are like, don't go down the path of lust because you're going to think you can come out of it, and eventually you'll be so far gone you won't know how to get out of it. You may want to change, and God can change you even the worst dark moment, but there's wisdom in saying there's destruction down this path you can't see. So trust him. So like now, do you, the, the ways I fight, I fight lust, the, it's so funny. It's, I'm more sensitive to it. And my manifestation of sin is smaller, but I feel more convicted over it. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I haven't looked at some of the images I looked at in a long time, but I feel more heartbroken when I find myself going to Instagram and, and that search bar hits me. And I'm like, I can, like you said, I can mm-hmm. feel it in me, and I'm more sensitive to that. And so things like get off Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Get, get off Twitter. You don't have to be—get off well, well, whatever the next thing is. But it's okay to not be hyper-involved in everything. Yeah. It's okay because at the end of the day, your joy is not going to rise and fall with your involvement on a social platform. It's going to rise and fall on your integrity and your clean conscience that we want to give to you in Christ. Hmm. 
such an identity-based like thing. Yeah. Like every time you talked about compartmentalization yeah. of our lives, like I love talking to college students about this because, you know, that's as they're trying to make their faith their own or trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus right now, it, it's very easy to like make our life like a chest of drawers and, you know, right. have our mm-hmm. politics here, education here, right. relationships with family here. And, oh, now I'm a Christian. That's yeah. just another extracurricular yeah. thing. But instead, it's kind of like like a bicycle wheel. And mm-hmm. the middle is like the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ and who he is That's and good. our life is centered on him. Yep. And the spokes are everything about our lives that come outside of that. Yeah. And so everything is affected and impacted by the fact that we belong to Jesus. It's like when we're baptized, we proclaim that yep. we belong to Jesus, not to the world. Yeah. So so we're associated with Jesus. We belong to him. And one of the practical things that we talk about a lot um, as a church, but specifically me as a college pastor, just resources that we want to make sure college students know about are uh, websites. And Jamie, you mentioned this, but websites like Covenant Eyes that you can use to basically block websites with pornographic content. You can have accountability partners on there and emails can get sent to them when it seems like there might be a questionable, yeah. something questionable pop up on your screen. Well, now they have software too where it sees your actual, like the your screen itself. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Not, it's not even what you visit. It's now what's on your screen. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's really helpful. Yeah, it, it's so good. And there's apps like... There's an app called Fortify or a website called Fortify that basically gives you a game plan for quitting porn. And what I'm trying to say is that, like, we have all the resources we need. Everything that you would need to put up barriers and safeguards and have accountability is there. At the end of the day, it's just like, man, do you see Jesus is worth it? Mm -hmm. Do we see Jesus is worth putting those things up? And Jesus says some hard things in the Bible. um, And one of those hard things is Matthew 5, 27, when he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. First off, that's really hard. It's like, well, dang, like, so I've committed adultery according to Jesus. If your right eye causes you to sin— Tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? He's He's saying a lot there. Jesus ain't playing. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus is not playing games. Uh, He says, like, I'd rather you, like, make yourself blind and take off both of your hands than, like, your body to— Go to hell. But what Jesus is actually saying is that if you love me, you will also find ways to not put yourself in places to be tempted. So, Jamie, exactly what you were talking about, shows. Like, we don't talk about that, like, enough. There are so many shows out right now. And I've just— I've just gone back into watching things other than The Office, and oh my goodness. <laughs> like, I've never—I never thought I had to look up IMDb or, like, there's other websites for, like, Christian parents where it's like, does this show have, like, sex in it? We go to Common Sense Media. Okay. I mean, it tells you if they say the S word, the F yeah. word, and All it raids everything. That's really and, good. But, like, the sex is what we're looking at yeah. uh, for our family as well. But, yeah, that's Yeah, I mean, resource. like, they're—like, I remember, like, Back in the day when I would get Eminem's albums, 
It's like, what what good is it to get the edited version yeah, of yeah. Eminem's album? Because you're basically getting, like, you know, a minute of content for each song. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, Eminem, oh, Eminem yeah. is oh, just, yeah. like, going to cuss up a storm. Yeah. But it, it's, the same, it's the same thing here. Like, if there are series that center around, like, people having sex and people hooking yeah. up, like, yeah. why would you consume that? Yeah. And if watching Netflix and streaming shows is the primary way yeah. that we, like— engage in media, why would we want to engage in those things consistently? And it's not only that, but it's also like erotic literature. Yeah. And as I was like reading things, like researching things, just like trying to even understand like how this fight is different for like men and women, mm-hmm. what I've seen is that studies show that there's definitely like higher rates of men engaging in online pornography, but the the people who are actually getting the erotic literature, basically reading pornography is like almost all women. Mm-hmm. So even even those things it's like what are you what are you ingesting? Yeah. And so uh I I love man I forgot his name but he wrote a book called James K Smith. Yeah. K Smith. Yeah. yeah, you are what you love. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh, he he just I I love that book so much because he just talks about how the things that we do in these rhythms that we have actually like create a worldview for us. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you guys have been talking about. But the things that you consume is huge and putting safeguards around us. And I think too, like this conversation could go legalistic so quickly. It's like, you know, so hard. But for me, like if I'm reading or watching or listening to something, and listen, we don't have to explain to anyone what it feels like when you get sexually aroused. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that you figure that out around 12 or yeah. whatever. Like, right. you know what that feeling yeah. is like. And so if I'm feeling that and I'm not in a covenant marriage bed with my husband, yeah. that's a big clue in me that yep. this may not be okay for me. Yep. And so I remember a couple of years ago when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, mm. I was in the library and I was like, it was just right there on the shelf. Yep. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to pick this up, see what this is about, mm-hmm. right? So I just randomly open it to a page and start reading. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm a grown woman turned on in a public library right yeah. here. Like, what's yeah. happening? This yeah. is not okay. Yeah. And it just reminded me, like, oh, that is an avenue of pornography yeah. Yeah. that we sometimes would be like, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I'm just reading it. But it was a big deal because it put me in those shoes and made me feel things that I shouldn't be feeling yeah. outside of yeah. a marriage relationship. And so I think, too, like— we're smart enough to know, like, this makes me feel something yeah. sexual. Yeah. I'm not with my spouse. I think this is not okay. Yeah. And so even just like that of yeah. like, okay, this is, I remember what this feels like. I'm not supposed to be feeling that. So people are smart. Like, you can figure yeah. out, this arouses me. Mm. And, and if there's anybody listening to this who is kind of eye-rolling right now because we're thinking, like, all these restrictions and legal, and it feels— I just find it fascinating. We have— there, there. I don't think you could find a more— hyper-restrictive diet culture than the one we live in right now, mm-hmm. where people will not eat all sorts of glutens and sugars because, not because it's going to kill you, because it makes you feel terrible. You, you literally have a goal of, I want to feel great and I want to be healthy. So you restrict things. It's all about what's my goal and the outcomes that I want, and I want to feel near to God. And I can tell you, like if, for college students especially, they're like, what's God's will for my life? Mm-hmm. 1 Thessalonians 4, 2, or 4, 3, for this is the will of God, mm-hmm. your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual morality, that each one of you know how to control his or her own body in holiness, and I love it, in honor, 
not in the passion of lust of the Gentiles who do not know God. So I think there's just good for us to remember it's all about your goal. Yep. Mm. What, what's your goal? Do you, do you do you want to? I'm telling you right now, you your sin can never separate you from God, but it can make you not sense his presence as near. That's so good. I, I, I don't want people to confuse my standing before God as always pleasing before him and my experience of that standing, right? There, there is something about the way that you live can put you put you more in line with who you really are, so you have a more sense of his nearness to you. There, there's a reason Colossians says, live in a way that's pleasing to him. Hmm. Well, that means I can live in a way that I never change my status to son or daughter. But things I do can displease my father, and I want to be pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. And so when you live in these ways, in the same way that you would cut out certain foods in your regimen because the way it makes you feel mm-hmm. and the way it doesn't help you be who you want to be. Yeah. That is for such a lesser thing than for I want to know the nearness of God in my life. Mm -hmm. So it's not worth it to to go down roads that make me— not sense his presence. Because yeah. again, because if, if you've been, if you're a Christian, you've been in the presence of God, you know there's nothing like his presence. So anything that numbs me to it, I want to get rid of it. So again, back to the ecosystem. You can't all of a sudden become a sacrificial person in your sexuality if you aren't with your money. Hmm. You can't become a sacrificial person with your time on the internet if you aren't in your relationships in other ways. Like yeah. you, you, you don't just turn these switches on. It has to be a thing you're doing in your whole life. And so I want to be generous with my finances that God's given me. I want to be generous and self-control in the bodies that he's given me. I, yeah. I, I want to be able to do both well. And that's where it means, okay, then life is not about just avoiding porn. Life is about following Jesus and yeah. all that he calls me to. Yeah. Tyler, that's so good. And as we talk about how all these things are connected, there are so many things that we haven't talked about. Yeah. How the sex trafficking industry is so connected to pornography yeah. and how you know fighting for justice is also abstaining from pornography. Yeah. We haven't even talked about how all of those things are so connected. I think that would be surprising to people as yeah. well who 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 are maybe dabbling in pornography or or whatever they might be to think of how that actually um, feeds into you know abuse and yep. sex trafficking and even mm-hmm. child porn because you know everyone thinks like oh I would never ever look at that I'm just kind of looking at this porn well mm-hmm. you mentioned at the very end of the show how a certain porn webpage gave mm-hmm. a free subscription for 30 days yeah. because they're smart and they know that after 30 days you're willing to pay because you want more. And the thing with porn too that, you know, we we talked about earlier about how it messes with your brain is you don't just stick with this light porn. Uh, Porn usually, you you need more to satisfy that hormone again. So then you need more, then you need more. I listened to a podcast the other day. It was on the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast and Mm. they were interviewing a pastor who started out with just looking at porn on his computer. And he's like, it's as if I don't know how I got there, but now I'm sleeping with prostitutes. Mm. And it was just needing to be satisfied and satisfied. And so there's so many links to the porn industry and sex yeah. trafficking. And that should, as Christ followers, that should alarm us. Yeah. Yeah. And we usually think that those things are all separate. Yeah. My porn problem is not affecting anyone else. It's just but, me. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it's affecting millions. Yeah. And many who are poor children mm-hmm. and minority women. Yeah. Jamie, as we kind of close this out, there's, man, we, we could have talked about so many more things, but do you have any final words or encouragement or tips or anything that's just been on your heart for the listeners? And after that, I was wondering if you would just pray us out. Yeah. I'd love to, if I could just speak to women for a second, um, because, you know, we said in here, this is not just a strictly male thing. Uh, women struggle with pornography as well. But what happens is so many women feel, I must be weird. There must be something wrong with me. 
because the, I don't ever hear women talk about this. You know, I go to a conference and the men have sessions on pornography and we have sessions on identity. Mm. And I just want to speak to the women that if you find yourself struggling now or you have struggled in the past, like you're not weird. Like there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken any more than anyone else is broken. Mm. We're all broken because of sin, but you don't have this extra brokenness because you're a woman and you yeah. desire to look at pornography. So everything we said today would still apply to you with mm. that repentance and confession and accountability and things on your phone and things on your computer. And so just for the women here, uh, I wanted to to say that to them as well. But just to everyone else, I just I hope that after today's conversation, you hear all of our hearts about how there is freedom. Mm. On the other side, that this is this is not this automatic, this is who I am, and I'm bound to this for the rest of my life. You know, I was mm. fill in the blank with what might have happened to you in your childhood. I'm sorry, whatever that was. We've all had to walk mm. through wounds. But those things don't get to rule you, mm-hmm. but Jesus does. Mm-hmm. And so that there's freedom for that. And then lastly, I just want to say the coolest thing about this is that God cares about our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Like we, he created us this way. He created us as sexual beings. And so it's not something that we should be like, oh, there's something wrong with me because I'm sexual. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, God made you that way. And so he cares about it so much that he has something really beautiful for you. And if he cares about it, he cares enough to also heal you, bring you through it, provide you freedom. And you are actually really a new creation. Mm-hmm. You are not that sin. You mm-hmm. are not that moment in front of the computer. You are not that moment in establishment that you wish you wouldn't have walked into. You are a new creation, and God sees you that way. So that's important to know. Mm-hmm. Amen. Come on, pray yourself. All right, let me pray. Oh, God, the fact that you care about our sexuality that feels so secretive sometimes mm-hmm. and so gray area sometimes and so— impossible to understand sometimes. And the fact that you actually care, that brings me so much comfort and it brings me so much hope and it brings me so much peace knowing that this is not this area of my life where I have to figure out on my own. You didn't just accidentally make us this way and then say, good luck. But Mm -hmm. God, you actually have a design for our lives and you have a plan for our lives. And so God, I thank you for that. I pray for all the people who are listening, who are fighting that temptation to do the shame spiral. Mm -hmm. They're fighting that a lie that Satan's throwing at them that says, you are only what you do. Yeah. And God, I want to remind them right now through my words and through your Holy Spirit in their life to remind them they are not what they've done, but they are who you say they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And God, you say that we're a new creation, that you look at us and you actually see the righteousness of Jesus on us. Mm-hmm. And so God, will we rise up and be people who are that? Will we rise up um, and be strong, not in our own strength or on our own, but only through you? God, I also want to pray for someone right now who is thinking, geez, Louise, I wish I wouldn't have listened to this because now i got to call that friend and i got to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. God, will you just give them power and comfort and peace to do that? And then on the flip side, will you prepare that friend that they're going to confess to? Will you prepare them Mm -hmm. to look at them with eyes that say you are loved and cherished because of the gospel? God, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for this ministry. Thank you for Mitchell and Tyler and the way that they love um, your people. And I'm just so grateful for the fact that you sent your son for us when we did not deserve it or earn it. But God, Mm -hmm. we needed it so much and you provided that way for us to come back to you. So thank you for Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. 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 Jamie, thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks, guys. Um, We appreciate you so much. And thanks for being on for the green room. We will see you guys next time. Thank you for being our guest in the green room. 
Remember, if you want more vulnerable conversations, share, like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram at college underscore Austin Stone. See you next time.